You know, if you think life is just fine and dandy, you will not go after God the way that you should. Ecclesiastes is here to tell us that life is not fine and dandy. Ecclesiastes is, a, is the greatest book of philosophy ever written. It's older than Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. And it's greater because it's from God. It's relevant because it expresses the futility that we experience right now in this fallen world, which God himself subjected to futility. And it gives us wisdom for living and for coping with this present futility. You can disagree with this book. You can never read this book, but you will for sure experience this book. It describes what life is like here on earth, this side of the grave. It's about life under the sun. You know, we spent some time in Revelation about what life will be, is like in heaven, the new heavens, the new earth. This is about what life is like right now here under the sun. It is not the viewpoint of an unbeliever or an agnostic. It was written by Solomon, I believe, at the end of his life after he repented and turned back to God. Uh, the last chapter says the teacher was wise and what he wrote was upright and true and the teachings or these teachings are given by the one shepherd, a reference to the Lord himself. This is the word of God. Many years ago, I was eating lunch uh, at a table and a young lady across from me said to me, I don't read Ecclesiastes because it makes me feel depressed. And I said, well, I don't think you can really go live for Jesus with abandon unless you have an Ecclesiastes perspective on life. Jim Elliott had that perspective. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus preached the futility of life when he said, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole entire world but lose his own soul paul evaluated his life where he looks back on his life before he met jesus and he said it was garbage trash dung he gave up all his religious achievements his prestige his power and he went all in for jesus because of the surpassing greatness of jesus compared to the futility of this life you must see the vanity of life in order to let go of the world and follow Christ. I believe many people, many live half-heartedly for Jesus because they don't really believe the message of this book. They still really think something other than God out there in this life under the sun will make them happy and will give them meaning. So, the book of Ecclesiastes comes along and it bursts that bubble. It rips off our rose-colored glasses. It shatters our false hopes in pleasure and achievement. And it forces us to look at the simple, somewhat terrifying truth that life is fleeting. There's an emptiness to it. It's a vapor. It's unsatisfying. And in the end, we all will die. Unless, of course, Jesus comes back first. 
Ecclesiastes blows up our shallow philosophies and sayings and quotes that pretend that nothing is really wrong here. Uh, Don't worry, be happy. Uh, I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, Life is a journey, not a destination. Or just life is good. I've got, I've got an old song I, I really like that says, uh, life is good. You got two bucks in your pocket, a little dab of brill cream in your hair. Life is good. You know? But just doesn't quite cut it. Ecclesiastes is a much more true, a much more accurate philosophy of life. If you were to walk up to that pastor in Mozambique whose wife just died and left two young children and flippantly say, hey, life is good, brother, it just wouldn't work. We need a philosophy of life that can bear the weight of reality and only the Bible gives us that. Only the Bible tells us why life is frustrating, why life has misery and death, and only the Bible shows us the way out of that. The world that we live in is under the tragic reality of the fall. That's why I included the Romans 8 passage in our scripture reading. Uh, The creation has been subjected to futility, and it is groaning, all of creation is groaning in the pains of of childbirth. That's, that is a description of what life is like in this world under the sun, as Solomon describes it. We don't live in a, a, a storybook world. We, we got kicked out of the garden. Uh, it's painful. It's disappointing. Solomon said later on in chapter 1, what a heavy burden God has laid upon the sons of men. It's verse 13. Psychologist uh, Jordan Peterson called this the burden of being. It's just the burden of being a person. We just feel the burden of life. He said, we're pack animals. We're beasts of burden. We must bear a load to justify our miserable existence. Now that's a secular, unbelieving psychologist saying that. uh, But it might come right out of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is a, a, a painful book. There are things that it says that just stir up the pain of real life in our minds and hearts. And it was meant to be. And you have to go into the pain of the book to get to the point of the book. Chapter chapter 12, verse 11 says, this is toward the very end or the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like the nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. That's the NLT, but I read it there so you could understand it easily. So, in a sense, if my message, if this message isn't painful for you on some level, then I probably haven't done my job. So the first message that the author drives home with tremendous force is that life is fleeting and frustrating. You won't figure 
things out. It won't all be fair. You will do lots of things over and over that do not really matter in the end, and no matter what you do or accomplish, it won't ultimately satisfy you. A commentator named Roy Zuck said, Finding pleasure, meaning, and satisfaction in this life is, try, is like trying to play soccer with a watermelon. It won't stand up to the game. Nothing in life, nothing in this life will stand up to your demands or measure up to your expectations. Uh, not marriage, sex, food, career, your friends, or even children. Now, as believers, okay, certainly, we know Christ finally and completely solves all despair and futility and meaninglessness and death, right? He is the way out. He's the only way out. But we are still living lives under the sun. Christians still do experience the futility, the frustration, the weariness, the vanity of life. That all will be gone when creation is redeemed, when Christ appears. But for now, Paul the Apostle himself said, even though we have the Spirit, we still groan. Meaning that we are still undergoing something that is difficult, not satisfying. It's hard. There's a longing within us for things to be made right, to be better. There's a longing to be released from this present futility. So, Solomon drives home to us the, the terrible problem of life. And once you see the terrible problem of life under the sun, there are only two roads to travel. One is to hate life. Just come to the place where that's all you can see about life. It's depressing. You just hate life. The other road is to seek God, to go after God. The despair in Ecclesiastes drives us to God. Solomon starts with a heavy dose of despair, but he ends up at God. Chapter 12, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. Vanity forces a conclusion. And that conclusion is to fear God and then surprisingly, not only to fear God and obey him, but to enjoy God and his gifts right here and now in this life. What a shocking book this is. It takes us way, 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 way down in order to lift us up, up, up where we really need to be. So, this book actually commands us to enjoy life. And it tells us how to enjoy life or with what perspective we enjoy things in this life. Now, under the sun, even in this broken world. And eventually, we will get to that. So, there are answers. There is joy. Uh, but we can't skip over the painful truth we need, which will drive us to God and will help us to uh, rejoice in a proper or appropriate way in, his, in God and in his good gifts, even in this fleeting life. So the book begins uh, in the, 
Berean Study Bible, which I had in the bulletin this, this morning, it, it starts with futility of futilities. And I, I, I put that version in there because it ties in, that's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 8. So Solomon starts out, futility of futilities. A, a thousand years later, Paul comes along and says, God has subjected the world, the creation, to futility. And you see this whole thing ties in. It goes back to Genesis 1. It's consistent with the whole message of the Bible. This is not an, an aberration. <laughs> this book fits with everything in the Bible. So the book begins, uh, ESV says, Vanity of Vanities. But I looked up vanity and it says empty or futile. So, the, so either there's a lot of different words you can use that communicate the same thing. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And the word here literally is vapor or breath. It means that life is futile. It means that life is fleeting or it's, it's like a breath. It's like a vapor, as James says. In some verses, the context seems to more clearly imply that he uses the same word to, to, to mean emptiness or futility or meaninglessness or just that things don't make sense. So we're going to dive right into this and uh, hold on to your seats and uh, remember what I said. Or actually remember what Solomon said, that the teachings of the wise are, are painful. Verse 3, what does a man gain by all his labor or by, or, at, or by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Toil or labor in some translations here is not just your job, okay? We're not talking about just your career here. It's talking about everything you must do to get through life. It's getting up in the morning. It's taking care of yourself, your kids, your home, doing the dishes, taking care of all the business of life. Uh, you have, Solomon is saying that life is labor, and he's questioning how, what we really gain from that. You have to push your way through life, don't you? It's not easy. Life is hard. There's stress. It's a fight. And what do you really have when it's all over with all your labor, all the work, all the responsibilities you carry, all the things that you do day after day after day after day? Solomon's going to tell us that you still die and you'll take nothing with you. What do you gain for all of this? Verse 4, generations come and generations go. You can dress it up any way you want it, but the reality is before you know it, you're going to be gone. I'm going to be gone. Billions of people have lived before you, and billions may live after you. There's just this repeated cycle of life over and over. Generations come and generations go. Uh, John Meyer, uh, Mayer, how you pronounce it, wrote a song that expressed that life is like being on a train riding toward the end of your life and you just can't get off. Uh, I really like the song. It goes like this. Stop this train, I want to get off. I'm not going to sing it for you. wish I could. It's a great song musically, Okay. Uh, stop this train. I want to get off. I can't take the speed it's moving in. I know I can't, but honestly, won't someone stop this train? I don't want to see my parents go. I'm one generation away from fighting life out on my own. Oh, come on. Stop this train. I want to get off. 
I can't take the speed it's moving in. Won't someone please stop this train? I'm so scared of getting older. Had a talk with my old man. I said, help me understand. He said, I tried my hand, John. Honestly, we'll never stop this train. Generations come, generations go. And verse 4 adds, even like almost to increase the pain, but the earth remains forever. You're going to go, but that rock in your backyard is still going to be there. He's just emphasizing the brevity of life. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries around to rise again. Your life is like that. You do things over and over, day after day. We sleep, and we have to sleep again. We get up in the morning, and we have to get up the next morning. We eat, and we have to eat again. You, ladies, you know what this is like? You cook one meal for your family, and before you get the dishes hardly done, somebody's hungry again. Whatever we do, we have to keep doing it over and over and over. Verse 6, he sees this same cycle in creation, and he uses creation to kind of explain what this feeling of life is about. The wind blows south and then a north and round around it swirls ever returning to its course all the rivers flow into the sea yet the sea is never full the water returns to the rivers and then flows out again to the sea everything is weariness beyond description so what's what's he saying he's just he's expressing what we all feel that life is repetitive uh, much is the same day after day there's there's a certain weariness he calls it a certain emptiness a kind of boredom if you will or frustration or monotony and even sorrow with this repetitive nature of life and whatever we can do it's never enough verse 8 no matter how much we see we are never satisfied no matter how much we hear we are not content again that's again it's out of the nlt Uh, and that applies to everything in chapter 5 verse 10 Solomon said, he who loves money is never satisfied by money. Just nothing in this life ever is satisfying. We're never, ever completely content. We might be for just a little bit, but not for very long. I heard someone say that getting things is fun, having things is not fun. It's exciting to get things, but so soon the pleasure of getting them goes away, and then you have the burden of of having them and maintaining them, the fear of losing them, all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Verse 9, what has been done will be done again, and there is nothing new under the sun. History repeats itself. Uh, Kings rise and fall. Politicians come and go. People make money and lose money. Uh, Babies are born. Old people die. Uh, We think Technology might be the exception to that. You know, there's technology that's new. But I read this week where smartphones, your smartphone is made up of just 30 elements that have been in the earth ever since creation. There's nothing new under the sun. And you think about, one of the other things I thought about when I read this verse was that at the end of Ecclesiastes, if you know the book, uh, it, it talks about how... Uh, empty or vain it is to 
spend, give much time to reading of books. And you know what it reminded me of? Parents today, what they're saying, they're always warning their kids about spending too much uh, screen time, you know, about looking at their screens too much, spending too much time with their iPhones or computers or whatever. And essentially, Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. He deals with the same thing at the end of the book. Uh, He says the writing of books is endless and just spending too much time in books is, is, is vain. Verse 11, we do not remember those who came before and those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow after. You don't remember uh, people very far back and you won't be remembered very far back. You may possibly know your great-grandfather's name Uh, But you don't know his hopes and dreams. You don't know his inner thoughts, how he felt when he was getting up each morning, or his thoughts when he was dying. We all live this intensely personal drama. It's very important to us, but Solomon says we're we're soon, soon forgotten. You may build a great business or become a great person, do some great thing, uh, but after a generation or two, no, no one really remembers or, quite frankly, really cares. Pascal, the uh, well-known, I guess I would call him, French uh, Christian philosopher, said, uh, the ending of life is dreary, however fine the rest of the play. They put a little dirt over your head, and that is the end forever. That is the end awaiting the world's most illustrious life. Painful truth. That's the kind of things that Solomon was impressing upon us in order to drive us to the things that really matter. So, of course, we know in Christ, thank God that there is more. Beyond the grave. And we, I mean, that's our emphasis in life. But yet we still have to face that this is life under the sun uh, here and now as we experience it. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. Uh, there are problems that just can't be solved. There are needs that are just never met. No matter what we do, there seems to still be poverty and hunger. Kids suffer and are abandoned marriages and dreams that fall apart things happen that we just can't repair or fix in this life under the sun there's things that you lose that not all but there's just some things that you lose that you just don't get back uh honestly when i read this first maybe he's not here this morning but i thought of david bryan and how often he talks about those three fingers that are that are uh missing on his hand What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Solomon um, obviously thinks that we need to hear this theme of vanity over and over. So it's just, I mean, if you read through this book, it's just just kind of relentlessly coming at you. Uh, He says it a lot. Uh, And so I'm going to read some of these for you, because I think they're important for us to hear, to face. Uh, What have I gained by being wise? The wise man will die just like the fool. 
everything is futile and chasing after the wind. All that I have worked for must be left to one who comes after me. This too is futile. What does a man get for all his toil and striving which, with which he labors under the sun? His days are filled with grief and his task is sorrowful. This too is futile. As a man come, came from his mother's womb, so he will depart again naked just as he arrived. He takes nothing for his labor to carry in his hands. I've got references for all these, but they'll be in the notes. I'm not going to say them all here. There are righteous men who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked men who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. You follow all that? (laughs) Uh, And he says, and then he adds, of course. What does he add after that? This too is vanity. (laughs) This too is futile. Uh, Bad people often get promoted and godly people often get overlooked. Bad people often prosper. Uh, Good people, godly people often struggle to make ends meet. And Solomon sees that as a problem. It disturbs him. He doesn't, he doesn't like that. He sees it as a, as a part of this futility uh, of life. And then, in the last chapter, he describes something that we've been talking about already to some degree, and, and it, it's, it's all throughout the, the book of Ecclesiastes. He described the, our inevitable end. He describes the, the, deteriorate, the, the deterioration of our bodies uh, how our bodies fall apart in old age. And he uses the metaphor of a house that is falling down to s- describe how our bodies fall apart in old age. He, he says you lose your eyesight, your legs tremble, uh, your back stoops, uh, you lose your teeth, or some of them, uh, you lose your energy, and then you die. The, he, he says, the body, then the body returns to the ground from which it came. Wow. And then, of course, what does he add after that? Futility of futilities or vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Okay. I haven't heard too many amens this morning. Can anybody say an amen to that? Okay. Prob- well, I mean, probably not. It's probably not the first thing that comes to your mind. But again, I quote Pascal. He said, anyone who does not see the vanity in life must be very vain indeed. I see, the hum- I see humor in that. No, I guess nobody else does, but I think that's funny. Of course, vanity is not the only conclusion that we have about life. Thank God Christ makes a difference. <laughs> Uh, Christ comes and he opens the door in this futile world. He comes and opens the door to a life of hope. But before we find joy in him and full satisfaction in him, for most of us we have to go through a season where we find that pleasure and possessions and achievements in this life under the sun is a dead end. And it's important that we let that truth the the message of ecclesiastes sink into our souls it's it, this is not a message that we can just skim over and okay let's get to the happy parts right away 
Now, there's something important about understanding that all of creation has been subjected to futility and that we, that we groan. All of creation groans. Then in chapter 2, Solomon goes on to say he personally tested. He, he, he kind of states this as a theory in chapter 1, but then at the end of chapter 1 and on in chapter 2, he goes on to per- say that he personally tested all these pleasures and pursuits as a way of finding meaning in life, and he, he testifies or he verifies that they all failed to satisfy. First, he tries wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. I per- perceived, but then he comes to his conclusion, but I perceived that this is also but a striving after wind for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and with increase in knowledge comes an increase in grief. He's just saying, you know, you can find out a lot of things about the world and about life, but a lot of the things that you're going to find out are actually going to make, you, make it harder for you to be happy. Uh, I mean, the more that you know about life, and the more that you know about the human condition, it's Harder to be happy. There's uh, spousal abuse, child abuse, sex trafficking, poverty, people suffering from accidents or disease or injuries. Probably right. I mean, this morning, right now, in hospitals all over the all over the world. I read this week that so far, so far, two hundred thousand Russian troops have been killed or wounded in the present war in Ukraine. And the numbers for Ukraine are much more difficult to, uh, to, to, uh, to get accurate, but it's estimated over 120,000 Ukrainian troops. I mean, that's 320,000 uh, troops killed or wounded. I don't even think that includes all the civilians that are killed and wounded and suffering and maimed and injured. The more that you know about what's really going on in this world, in this life under the sun, the more sad you feel. And Solomon said that, that the, so his pursuit of, of, of wisdom didn't, didn't make him happy. It didn't, it didn't make life full and joyful and meaningful. And then Solomon says he tested pleasure. Chapter 2, verse 11, uh, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I think that was maybe chapter, anyway, I I think I got the reference wrong on that, but but forget that reference. I said in my heart, it's in chapter two though, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Then he tried comedy and humor. Verse two, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? Laughter, it's a great thing, it's a great thing to laugh, it's good to laugh. But it doesn't solve life. It doesn't ultimately give meaning to life. In the end, if that's where you're trying, if, if that's what you're relying on to kind of make life feel good, it's just a dead end street. Humor is or laughter uh, just doesn't work. It won't. It won't. It won't hold you up under the sorrows and problems and vanity of life. Then next. He tried something else. He tested achie- achievement, uh, projects, accomplishments. Verse 4, I, 
made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools, swimming pools. Maybe they weren't swimming pools, but I made for, for myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. But the thrill of building things didn't laugh. Didn't last, I'm sorry. So then... <clears throat> Solomon says, I tried power and riches. Verse 7, I bought bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. But guess what? It didn't satisfy him either. He, he expresses that he is just utterly deflated. Verse 10 goes on, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. But behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So essentially, Solomon says, You know, I, I didn't find meaning and satisfaction in anything that I tried under the sun, and you won't either. We don't have the resources to try all these things. We foolishly think if we had these resources, if we had just unlimited wealth, then we could try all these things that Solomon tried, and we think we would find pleasure and be happiness, find happiness in them. Solomon says, no, I, I did it all. I had all the wealth in the world. I had all the power in the world. I was king. I, I, I tested every possible well that you could test to find, uh, to drink from, to find satisfaction, and I didn't find it in any of the things. So in in a sense, he's saying, you guys don't have to go try all these things. I already did it for you, and these wells were empty. So whether your thing or your dream, I might say, of finding happiness in food or wine or movies or video games or sports or shopping or great achievements or houses, you will still ultimately feel flat, empty, and unsatisfied when it's all said and done. I remember reading the biography of Lee Iacocca. I I worked in the automotive industry for years, and uh, Lee Iacocca was considered like the greatest of all time as far as company executives. He was a CEO of Chrysler. He, he, uh, He was considered a, just a huge, like a superhero in rescuing that company from uh, utter bankruptcy and destruction. He brought it back to a huge success. And I, I read his biography, and, and he said this, uh, as I start the twilight years of my life, I try to look back and figure out what it was all about. I'm still not sure what is meant by good fortune and success. But I know Fame and power are for the birds. Wow. What a statement. Just like Solomon. I mean, as close to Solomon probably as, as most people get, Lee Iacocca had it all. He tested all the pleasures, all the success, all the power. He said, well, at the end of my life, all I know, the, one, the only thing I know is this, that fame and power are for the birds. All right, but, but just then, just, or just when we think uh, that this book is only 
about hating life and how vain and empty uh, and futile it is, right here in chapter 2, Solomon takes this sharp U-turn, and in verse 24 he says, But there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and to enjoy his work. I have also seen that this is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat and who can find enjoyment. And in the next chapter he says, This joy or this enjoyment of God's of, of get these gifts is the gift of God. Joy in this life under the sun is the gift of God. And he commends it and even commands it. So after driving home the real problem of life again and again, he drives home the message that life is a gift from God and to be enjoyed. And there are actually seven passages, seven key passages in the book of of Ecclesiastes that drive home this theme that we are to enjoy life under the sun. We're to enjoy God's good gifts here in this world which contains a lot of pain and sorrow and frustration. So, as Christians, our philosophy of life is not not is not life is a bummer and we're just waiting for Jesus to take us out of here. We're commanded to enjoy life. No, this life is a gift of God and there is much that is in it that we're supposed to enjoy. And that's all I'm going to be able to say about that this morning. <laughs> Next time, next time we go into Ecclesiastes, we're going to focus on how the book of Ecclesiastes helps us to find joy, to live with joy right here, right now, right in the futility of life. Pretty exciting stuff, I think. Uh, my, my brother Paul, uh, who I think personally has probably more insight into this book than any, anybody or any commentator I know, uh, said that Ecclesiastes is the most relevant book in the Bible. In some ways it is because it's about us and it's about right now and it's about the thing that we most want, how to know how to enjoy life in a, in a world that seems pretty painful and messed up and unfair and unjust and all the things that we've been talking about this morning. So, We'll look into that later. But this, for right now, I just want to focus on uh, uh, these conclusions. Uh, for th these are applications for you to take home this morning. Number one, let the vanity of life sink into your soul. Uh, Ecclesiastes will set you free from the bondage of false expectations in your life under the sun. I saw an article in Medical News Today that said studies show that constantly chasing the specter of perfection may seriously harm your mental health and well-being. Amen. When you find yourself sinking under the burden of unrealistic expectations and perfectionism, pick up the book of Ecclesiastes and read it. Yeah, Cindy has a saying, you know, that really helps us when things aren't going so well. She says, well, this isn't heaven yet. You know, there's something so freeing about that. 
just realizing where we live and what God says about our life presently. That's not all. We've got a lot to come, but anyway, this isn't heaven yet. Second, it's okay to feel frustrations in life, the weakness of our bodies, even aging, or the flatness of life. Uh, In Christ, we do have great joy. I love the joy in our worship this morning. But we also do just feel all these things that Solomon has been describing. Personally, I, I am committed totally to work hard at joy. I mean, I fight for joy all the time, nearly all the time, nearly every day. I mean, I, I fight, I emphasize being joyful. I worship. I sometimes just raise my hands when I'm out walking just to lift my heart because I'm fighting for joy. But I also give myself a break when life feels kind of flat or mundane or ordinary or frustrating because God says it is that way under the sun. Okay, so um, it's okay to feel the frustrations of life. Third, I hope that's freeing to somebody here. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it isn't, maybe just for me. But Third, accept the limitations of pleasures and, and pursuits in this life under the sun. Don't deceive yourself into thinking, uh, well, when I get that promotion, that will satisfy me. If I could just get that new house, that will make me happier. If I could only get married, that would fix me. Or if, if this present problem that I'm dealing with, if I could just get over this problem, then life would be good. No, no it won't. You'll have another problem. So accept the limitations in, uh, uh, of, of this life under the sun. Only a relationship with Abba Father through Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can fill your life and make you whole. Fourth, the ultimate business of life under the sun is not to find meaning and purpose in this life. Solomon says you won't. The ultimate business of this life is not to fulfill all your dreams here, not to realize all of your potential here. The ultimate business of life for every one of us, Solomon says, is to fear God and obey God and then gratefully enjoy all the good things he gives you in this fleeting life under the sun. You won't understand life. It won't all make sense. But don't put your hopes and dreams in this life. But, Please do go enjoy life and your work and all the good gifts of God. Uh, Again, I quoted Roy Zeck earlier. He said really the theme of of Ecclesiastes, he boiled it down to uh, five words. Fear God and enjoy life. Fifth, fix your hope completely on Jesus Christ in the midst of your present distress under the sun. Peter said, uh, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you, to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul himself, the apostle, used uh, this future glory that is coming to us, it's heading our way, to keep his present pain in this life under the sun in perspective. He said, I consider the, that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, yes, life here under the sun has futility, but the glory to come is so great that Paul said it, 
the present futility hardly seems even worth mentioning because we're headed, we're bound for glory. As the old spiritual says, bound for glory. That's a song I love too. And no doubt rejoicing in our future glory enables us to triumph victoriously in our futile and fallen world. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for the incredible, astonishing wisdom of your word and how you just tell us the truth. Lord, we love you for that.